0: thanks Isaac it took five years but Isaac and I finally grew facial hair Uh, if you saw some of those pictures from the video Um, this morning I want to begin by asking this question how deep do families run how deep do families run this past Thursday, my wife, uh, Jennifer, and my two daughters, uh, Jordan, who's two, and uh, Shiloh, who's five months, left for Minnesota. And as they got ready to leave, this was the first time that all three of them had uh, left me uh, alone uh, since Shiloh was born. Now typically, I'm not one who gets very fearful or paranoid or worked up about some tragic thing that's going to happen while they're gone, but this week was a little bit different. And the day before uh, they got ready to leave, which they left on Thursday, I just really started freaking out. These thoughts started going through my mind. What if they die on the airplane? What if something like really, really bad happens to them, and I'm left here all alone? And Thursday came, and they got in the Suburban, and they're going out of the driveway, and here I am, a 38-year-old man, thank God the neighbors weren't there, and I'm just bawling and crying hysterically like they're leaving me forever, you know? And I went back into the house and I just started praying, God, you've got to protect them. You've got to keep them safe. And I bet I prayed that a hundred times. I'm not lying, over the last few days. Well, last night I went to the uh, airport to pick them up at 9.30 and they were there and safe. And um, I was just so thankful. And last night when we were driving back, I was just reflecting upon how deep, do family fillings run? Some of you may know the story of Aaron Ralston. Aaron was mountain climbing one day all by himself when he got in the middle of a crevice on the mountainside and he got stuck. And for six days, he was stuck In this crevice, and his arm was stuck so much that he couldn't pull it out. His arm was pinned against this rock, and he couldn't free himself. And some of you might know that story. Do you remember what he did? He took out his pocket knife and he cut off his arm. Then he walked several miles to safety. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that for six days, he was in excruciating pain. Trapped. No food, no water. The driving force that kept him alive was the fact that he wanted to see his family again. And in his book called Between a Rock and a Hard Place, he writes about this. He says every time that he was tempted again and again just to give up and to die and to just let it alone he kept thinking about his mom and his dad and his sister. And he thought to himself, I just couldn't do that to them. And he thought about how much he would miss doing life with them. And it was for the love of his family that he was motivated enough to finally take that huge step of cutting off his own arm as a last attempt to try to live. And I just wonder this morning, how deep do family Feelings run. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when He was hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, as He is taking on all the pain of your sins and my sins, and my sins are a huge stack, but as He took and paid for all of those and took them on, before he breathed his last breath, that Scripture tells us that he looked down and he noticed that his mother was there and a disciple. And when he looked down, he said these words. When Jesus saw his mother and his favorite disciple with her, he said to his mother, This man is now your son. Then he said to the disciple, She is now your mother. From then on, the disciple took her into his own home. I can't imagine everything that must have been running through the Son of God's head, through Jesus' head. And yet, even while he was on the cross, in the middle of his heart, he had this real thought, what's going to happen to my mom? Who's going to take care of my mom? Will my mom be taken care of? And no matter who you are, family feelings run very deep. Now, I realize that family feelings run very deep on both sides. Sometimes, our families are filled with so much goodness. And there's love, and there's giving, and there's self-sacrifice, and there's just a healthiness within our families. And we just think, man, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, there's such a security to be in our family. But other times, our family kind of malfunctions. And it seems like anger and hostility and rejection are the only thing that hits our family. And we feel so insecure. And family... Feelings kind of run in both of those directions. And throughout this series, what we're going to be talking about is the elephants in the room. The elephants that are in the different rooms of our families. And I want to encourage you, make a commitment today. I'm going to be there each week and invite people to come because we'll talk about the elephants that no one else usually talks about in their families. Now, um, this week... I invited one of our uh, small groups to build me this uh, teeter-tot. And it was uh, Greg Gale's small group, so let's give them a hand. Now, I actually told them to uh, build a small little (laughs) teeter-tot. Wow, look at that. I mean, this is like the teeter-tots of all teeter-tots. I mean, I've looked at some of your eyes. Some of you look like you just want to jump on this thing right now, you know? Take it for a little whirl afterwards. Well, one of the things in parenting that is so important, the two greatest gifts that you can give to your kids is love and limits. And the focus of today is how do we balance this? Because most of the time, it's not very balanced. We either go on one side or we go on the other side. And the one factor that we'll talk about a little bit is the elephant in the room, I think, for so many parents falls on this side right here of limits. We really struggle to put limits on our kids. Now, Dan Allender, who is a Christian psychologist, says this, that every single child growing up asks two core questions. They ask these questions every single day. Now, here's the first question that kids ask. The first question is, am I loved? Am I loved? Am I loved? And the second question is this, can I do anything I want? Can I do anything that I want? Now, the first question is about how valuable am I? Am I valuable to my parents? Am I loved by them? And the second question is, can I get away with highway robbery? You know? Can I get away with anything I want to do? Now, Dr. Allender says this. Parents must remove any doubt that lingers in their child's mind about these two core questions. Are you loved? Yes. Massively. Can I get away with anything that I want to? No, absolutely not. Don't even think about it. Because when you do, you might just wreck your life and it will create havoc for the rest of your life. So with these questions, it kind of leads us to our main focus today as we talk about this, is what do kids need? Well, first of all, what kids need is they need love. They need high doses of love in their life. And they need that a lot. They need to fill kind of this overwhelming love that is lavished upon them. Now deep down, all of us know, and isn't that cool how that just worked perfectly right there? Deep down, all of us know that the greatest need that kids have in their life is love. Irrational amounts of love. A kid doesn't need to be warmly appreciated or just tolerated. Ugh. right. But they need to be treasured. They need to be cherished. They need to have irrational amounts of love. Before my wife, uh, Jennifer, and I had children, which it took us 13 years, before we did that, we had sat down and we decided that our kids were going to have irrational amounts of love. Jennifer was raised in a family system in which uh, her parents did not express love very much uh, to her. And she said, my kids aren't going to be treated that way. And so uh, we decided that we were going to give irrational amounts of love and typically this is what a night looks like in the bunch household from seven o'clock to nine o'clock we play games we play with the kids and uh we hang out together as a family and after that comes about nine o'clock i get jordan our oldest that's a two-year-old and i take her up to get ready for a bath, and Jordan feeds Shiloh, and then after Jordan's bath, Shiloh gets her bath. And when I get Jordan into the bath, she splashes water, and we have fun together like a dad and daughter do, and I take her into her room and get her all dressed and ready to go. We put on her Mickey diapers. You put those on because if you use Elmo, she pees through the bed, and she'll let you know that... We have to put on Mickey and we put Mickey on and we go uh, and we turn on the Snoopy nightlight because that's the only thing she can have on and then she gets a flashlight out and we open up her little children's Bible, the B Bible, and she turns on the flashlight and I read the story every night. And we get done with that and uh, she turns off the flashlight, sometimes she plays big and small against the wall, you know, where the light gets real big. And then she just waits for me to say, Dad, big, big. And then she gets real close to the wall, Dad, small, you know, and you play that back and forth. And finally, we pray. And we pray for uh, family, friends, anything she wants to pray for. And she often prays for some of you. And uh, at the end of that, just before I get ready to lay her down, I look at her in the face and I go, Jordan, if I had to line up all the little girls in the world, I would choose you to be my daughter. I'd choose you to be number one. And she looks at me and then she says, No, I'm two. I love you, Daddy. And that's it. Every night. And then I go to our youngest daughter, I do the exact same thing, and she just slobbers profusely all over everywhere. So, you'll have to figure it out. But almost every night we do that because we want our kids to have irrational amounts of love in their life. And I think it's so important, especially if you have girls, that as a dad, you do the best that you can to show this impressive amount of love in their life. A few weeks ago, I got this point across, I knew that Jordan was getting it, when uh, all of a sudden, we're wrestling around together, and she bites me on the shoulder. Now, as far as I know, she hasn't bitten her mom, or the babysitter, or her sister, or anyone in the church, she just bit me. Lucky me. And I grabbed her immediately, and I went and I put her in timeout in uh, our kitchen, and she started start crying, crying, Daddy, Daddy, remember, I'm number one. <laughs> and I'm thinking right then, you know, like, this kid is getting this irrational love stuff. And folks, it's a generally held belief that when we give our kids irrational amounts of love, that later on in life, they have very few psychological disorders in their life because they feel loved, they feel secure. The power of love is just so strong, and it's your God-given duty to give irrational amounts of love to your kids every single day. Now, the second thing that kids really need is limits, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time, because I think it's where many of us struggle, is with this whole issue of limits. Parents, God has called you to place boundaries around your kids, to provide limits, to provide guardrails for your family. The Bible tells us that when this little bundle of joy is brought home from the hospital, two things are going to happen fairly quickly. One, they're going to be rebellious, and two, they're going to become self-centered. And the Bible tells us that it's going to have to take you to have some real consistency in your life, and to be straightforward in talking to them if you are going to be able to get that out of their system. Otherwise, you're going to be in for a boatload of trouble. The Bible says this, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and discipline is necessary to drive it out. Folks, providing limits for your kids... Is much more difficult than most of us typically think. I mean, it, it's hard to get this limit side kind of balance. I mean, it's very difficult to get this whole thing balanced again because we typically want to fall on this side of love. And it fell. And the reality is, this limits piece is the elephant in the room for most parents in America. Most parents are real, real, real heavy on this love side, but become very, very light on this limit side. And they're doing a really good job on the love side, and that's fantastic. But fewer and fewer parents are setting and then enforcing limits with their kids. And when we do that, folks, it's just a recipe for disaster. You know, growing up as a kid, um, my parents um, fell on this side. We were heavily weighted with love. Love was like the thing. And um, they just, you know, just poured it on in our lives and affection and approval, all those things. And I had a very healthy self-esteem. But when it came to this whole limit thing, I was at a real big loss in my life. Big time. And it showed with things like time management and self-discipline and follow-through, especially as a teenager and a young adult. But even now, I have to work at that really, really hard because there weren't very many limits placed on my life. I mean, I can still remember my dad uh, telling my brother and I multiple times when he we had broken some limit, "You kids are grounded for two weeks." Two days later, we were out riding our bikes, you know, because he couldn't deal with us for two weeks. Most people couldn't deal with us for two hours, you know, but there was no. Set limit. I also remember uh, one time he decided that we were going to be the family that had chores. And he developed this little chart for chores, and you had a little place where you'd check off each time you did your chore. Now, this was before Xerox machines, so he actually put it on a mimeograph and he, like, ran it for a hundred sheets, and it's all messy and blurry, but you know, you were responsible for it, and he posted them in each of our rooms. And he said, at the end of the week, I'm going to go around, and I'm going to make sure that you've checked them off. He never went around to us. You know what we did with those sheets? We made airplanes and threw them off the top of the uh, building of uh, the church where he pastored. People came one Sunday, and they were all underneath, right there. We had thrown them all down. Now, I'm just using this as an example of saying, to give my parents credit, they really understood the importance of love, and I think there was a hope that if they just loved us enough, that that would keep from the failure of setting some limits and enforcing them. But unfortunately, it didn't work. Folks, the Bible teaches that no matter how much you love a child, he or she still needs boundaries and discipline and limits. Remember the verse in Proverbs? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and discipline is necessary to drive it out. It's discipline, setting and enforcing limits, that drives out foolishness. Not just pouring out more and more love. And yet I realize, folks, how difficult it is in life, and especially as parents, to try and get this thing balanced. It's so difficult to do. As you can tell. We're going to go this way because otherwise I don't think people will be able to see as well. So we'll put it down there since we're talking mainly about love. So here's another question. Why do parents lighten up on limits then? Why do they do this? I mean, kids have heavy doses of love in their life. But why do parents cave in on the limit side? Well, I think there's two reasons. And the first one is this. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. Pure exhaustion. In a Newsweek article titled, How to Say No to Your Kids setting limits in an age of excess, a Temple professor, Lawrence Steinberg, speaks to this issue of exhaustion, and this is what he says. Today's parents put in more hours on the job than ever before. At the end of the long work week, it is tempting to buy peace with the family by just saying yes, rather than to take away from precious family time with a conflict. Anybody know that's true? Yeah. In the vast majority of American families today, both parents work outside the home and they work very, very hard. And after a 10-hour workday and a nerve-jangling commute at the end of the day, what parent can summon enough energy to make sure that Jack and Jill are towing the line and doing their chores and finishing their homework? It's much easier to just buy a pizza, put all the kids in front of the television for the night because everyone is exhausted. I don't know if you've realized this, but when you try to set and enforce limits, it is exhausting. It takes energy to do that. Regardless of what the age of the kids are, the rules in the family, even when they're clearly explained, you have to do it over again and again and again and again. It takes energy. Whether it's making up a chore list and making sure that it's done and complete, or doling out consequences of misbehavior or resolving conflict, it all takes energy. And when you're just out of gas and you're exhausted and you're worn out, it becomes very, very difficult to be able to do that. And often, parents will use expressions like, I just can't deal with them anymore. I can't take it. Anyone? "Now we won't ask you. okay? We've all been there. And what is that? It's exhaustion. Folks, I want you to know that in the critical ages of your kids, especially when they're in elementary school and younger, it's very important for you as parents to say enough is enough to work. It may mean that you're going to have to give up overtime. You may have to deny a promotion in your work if you want to be a better parent. And if you're a young parent like I am, with a two-year-old and a five-month-old, you have to be very, very careful, too, about your energy level. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating right? Are you taking your vitamins? Are you getting regular exercise? Because if you aren't, you just will crash eventually. You need energy to be an effective parent. There's a chilling story in the Bible about a parent who didn't manage his energy very well and how it destroyed his family. Some of you may uh, know the story of David in the Bible. He was a young little shepherd boy who uh, God called to be the king of Israel, of uh, the entire country. And David was very godly. He was bright, he was intelligent, he was an excellent military leader and a, a political leader, but he didn't do the dad thing very well at all, as the scripture tells us. It seems he poured out all of his energy, all of his focus on being the best political and military leader that he could be. But he rarely set or enforced limits on his kids. And near the end of his life, his, one of his sons named Adonijah does a scandalous thing. He actually gets a group of people together to overthrow his dad, who's the king. To kill him. To get him out of office. And it just kind of embarrasses the whole family. And in the midst of this whole conversation, there's a comment that happens from the writer that is so profound to David's parenting techniques through the years. It says this David had never interfered with Adonijah by asking, Why do you behave as you do? David never interfered. Isn't that incredible? A kid goes through their whole life and they never have a parent that interferes. From the time that he was a very young boy, David never had. Someone to interfere. He had someone who expressed loads of love upon his life and just filled him with love. But when it came to a bad attitude, when it came to setting and enforcing laws, he just was never given that. He never got the foolishness driven out of him. And the boy becomes a man, and he does this scandalous thing, and he embarrasses the whole family. And the Scripture, what it's telling us in the midst of this, is David kind of got what he deserved. You see, you ease up on this side of the teeter-totter, the limit side, and I guarantee that you're headed for a recipe of disaster. Now, parents, I'm not beyond pleading. Or grandparents, if some of you are raising grandkids. I'm not beyond pleading. But I'm just telling you that do whatever it takes to get this exhaustion thing figured out in your life. Manage your energy level so you can be a parent or grandparent that puts tons of love in your kid's life but also has enough energy to set limits so you don't get angry or hostile or upset or overwhelmed. Here's the second thing that parents lighten up on. Emotional neediness. Emotional neediness. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, the reality is every single parent has this deep place in their heart that if I set limits on my kid they're not going to love me as much. In fact, one day they're going to look at me and they're going to go, I hate you! I can't do it anymore! Maybe the kid will reject you. Maybe they'll turn away. Maybe they'll withdraw respect and love that you just long for from your kids to receive it. I mean, many parents can't bear the thought that if I enforce the limits on little Justin... What if He won't talk to me for the rest of the day? What if He ignores me? How could I bear that? And so what happens is parents become so concerned with receiving love from their kids and approval from their kids, and they fear rejection that they just lighten the limits. Now let me say this, parents and grandparents. When kids figure out that you're going to do that, they will play you like a violin. Because they are the best manipulators that the world has ever known sometimes. Marsha Martz, a family system expert, says this. She warns parents to stop trying to be the kid's best friend. Rather, be what the kids need most in their growing up years. Be a love-giving, limit-setting parent. She says, let your kids make friends with other people. You step up and be a parent. And folks, I couldn't agree more. It's your God-given assignment as a parent to absorb the disapproval sometimes and even the anger of your kid when they say, I'm not getting my own way. Tough. Now let me say this. I only got two and a half years into this thing. I am no expert whatsoever. I'm on the job training. But I'll tell you what, I read parenting stuff as much as I read anything else. Because in my life, what I finally figured out is the priorities in my life look like this. My relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids and then my relationship as the pastor of this church. I just put my parents or my, my kids above all of you. And not because I don't love you, I don't care for you, but I know that's what God has called me to do. To be the best parent that I came for my two girls. Now I'm not saying I'm a perfect parent. Jennifer and I get it wrong a lot. We give in when we probably shouldn't sometimes. We get exhausted and we don't prioritize our life. But I'm convinced about this side right here, the importance of setting limits. Now, earlier I shared about Jordan biting me on the shoulder. And when she bit me on the shoulder, what I didn't tell you was it took three times for her to sit on the timeout chair. The first time, it was immediately rebellion. I'm not doing it. Off the chair. The second time I put her on, Ninety seconds later, she's walking towards me with these huge crocodile tears, going, Daddy, hold me! Now, I want you to know that in that moment, you know what I wanted to do? Pick her up and go, oh, I'm so sorry, this is horrible, I'm a bad dad, I love you! But the rule in our house is that when you rebel at her age... You sit on the timeout chair for two minutes. And she did 90 seconds. And I picked her up, and I put her back down again. And that's when she cried out, Daddy, I'm your number one, you know? And all I'm saying is, I respect so much the importance of limits because I want Jordan to have character in her life. I want her to have things that produce things that are character-driven. Now, I also realize that it's easier to parent a two-year-old than it is one in probably elementary or middle school or, God forbid, high school. I've never prayed for Jesus to return so much as once I had two girls, you know. Just before she's 12, you can come before that, you know. But this is what I know, folks. If you set the limits early on, it will reap so much benefit throughout the rest of your kids' lives. And one day they'll stand up and they'll look at you and they'll go, my mom and dad, I call them blessed because they set limits. The Bible puts it this way. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now the reality is, none of us like to do the limit side of things. It's much easier just to put lavishing amounts of love on our kids. But when we set limits, we produce things like character and endurance and patience and peace within them. Now let me just say one more thing before uh, we kind of are given a couple homework assignments for the week. I realize that some of you were probably raised in families in which this limit side was the only thing you ever saw. Those of you who were raised in a generation, if you're in your 50s, maybe your 60s, that's all you ever saw. You never heard your parents say, I love you. You never got expressions of love. You never got a hug or someone to tell you, you did a great job. And I just want to say that if that happened to you, I'm sorry. I mean, I really am. But I also want to say this, that you don't have to pass that baton onto your kids or your grandkids. You can work hard and try to get this thing balanced between you and your family. It doesn't have to be just one thing or another. It can truly be balanced. Now let me say this about expressions of love. If you haven't told your kid in the last three days, if you haven't picked them up and held them and loved them in the last three days... Or if you haven't called them, or you haven't written a note, or you haven't done something to your kids, regardless of how old they are, you're three days too late. Just tell yourself today, when you get in the car, you're going to do it. And you know what I found? It doesn't matter how old your kids are, they love to hear you say, I love you. That you're affirmed to say, if I had to line up all the little girls... In the world, if I had to line up all the boys in the world, I would have chosen you to be my daughter. I would have chosen you to be my son. And some of you might be like, well, I, 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 especially you guys, I just don't do that. Well, get over it. Well, I'm going to do it awkwardly. Well, do it awkwardly then. Well, I'm not sure what to say. It's not brain surgery, folks. I love you. And if you don't really love them, at least say, "I like you, you know? <laughs> and for others of you, I realize you, were, you might be parents here. are like, "Man, that limit side, that's the thing. I've become so lenient and it's just out of control. Start it today. It's not going to be easier. It will never get easier any time in the future. So start it today. They might disapprove of it. They may not like it. But remember, you're trying to raise an adult. You're not trying to raise a three-year-old. You want a healthy, functioning adult. That's what's going to be on the legacy of your life. Now here's your homework. Sometime this week as a family, I'd like you to get your family together and pose these two questions. The first one is this. What did the balance beam of love and limits look like in your family that you grew up in? And then just explain that to your kids. Maybe for some of you, limits were so high, and so you can explain that, what that was like. Or maybe for you, the love side was really, really high. Whatever it was, that you just explain what that balance beam was. How did that affect you? How did you feel about that? And the second question that I want you to ask is this. What does the balance beam of love and limits look like in your current family? What's it look like? Would you say that in your current family it's weighed down right here by limits? Or is it weighed down by love? And what do you need to do to try to work hard at trying to get it some type of balance? Here's the last thing. The Bible tells us that there is a Heavenly Father who gets this balance right. Every single day for every single person. He knows how to give extravagant amounts of love to you and I. He says, I will love you no matter what, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. I will love you again and again and again and again. In fact, he said, I love you so much That I want to prove it to you. So I sent my one and only son to die for all of your sins. So you don't have to carry guilt and resentment and grief and bitterness and sadness. You can be set free. He loves you. And it's weighted down with love. But he says, I love you too much for you to just live your life any way that you want. So I'm going to give you some limits. And some of those limits are the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not have adultery. And what He really says is, I love you too much for you to just stay that way. And God, through His power, is just trying to say, I'm trying to make a balance of love and limits for you. Because I love you, I'm head over heels in love with you, but I love you too much to just live life your own way. And when we live like that, when we live a balanced life, folks, it's the greatest life, and you become the greatest parents because you have an abundant life that is given to you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who gives to us both love and limits that You irrationally love us no matter what. And for people here today who think, man, I've never known of that love of God, I pray right now through the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would just fill them with love. Weigh them down, God, with Your amazing love. And God, we thank You for limits that You put in our life. Not because You want us to have a a difficult life, but because You love us so much that You know if we don't have limits, it will wreak havoc on us later on. And God, this morning I pray for all of our grandparents and all of our parents especially who are raising kids at different ages at different times. And the difficulty of balancing love and limits is hard. But God, we know that the elephant in the room of not setting limits just never works. So this week, God, would you help us to sit around as families And to understand this, maybe draw it on a piece of paper to help our parents and help our kids know exactly what kind of balance we're looking for. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. See you next Sunday.